I always hear that <laughs> Apple store of weed. The Apple you know? of, of the weed world. And I, I remember looking at, you know, images of all these places that they were describing. And I was like, that looks like a, like a <laughs> broke radio shack, yeah. you know? And I just, what it seemed to me, and, and I've definitely benefited fully off of this same sort of a general like point of view is that there was so much extra um, attention or like applause afforded to these companies who were thinking about, you know, the, the weed business and in, in these new ways. Right. But aesthetically, I mean, it they was were like missing the mark. They were completely missing the mark. You don't have to look very far to see the changing face of the whole cannabis slash marijuana slash weed industry. Now, the reason why I've outlined it like that, it'll make sense in a little while. But regardless of your preferred way of defining it, governments are loosening up, trading in criminalization for cool, calm, and collected residents, as well as reaping the benefits of a new massive and lucrative inflow of tax revenue. The space has grown in all directions from high-end with a dose of pretension to more approachable and friendly options spanning the whole gamut of products and experience. The reality of cannabis is that it's a substance embraced by people of all walks of life with multiple insights into what's their ideal experience. It just so happens some people have a strong enough opinion on what the right experience should be. My name is Ariel Stark-Benz. I'm the founder of Mr. Green. We're in my store, Mr. Green Life Store. Here we are. And uh, we're doing the thing. For Ariel Stark-Benz of Mr. Green, the shop was conceived as his vision of what was missing within the retail space. It was never intended to be a lazy business idea following a this of that approach, like calling a store the Apple store of cannabis. He had bigger ideas. Looking back at his history, it can come across as being a bit random, with stints at a design studio, Mercedes-Benz, Converse, and perhaps the most pertinent, the industry-defining Ace Hotel. It was at Ace Hotel, and through the mentorship of founder Alex Calderwood, where he developed an affinity for design, products, and experience, all while fostering community. Part of Ariel's own interest lies in prioritizing passion and culture. What's clear about Ariel's story is that the culture comes first. The results haven't always been smooth and fully planned out. And more often than not, the plan never quite matched the idea. But none of it really seems to matter all that much when Ariel's goals lie in building cultural inroads that unite cannabis with design and activism. Increasing these touch points are a big part of Mr. Green and why it exists. I'm happy you were able to come through, Alex. <laughs> I'm very happy to be here. I'll probably edit this up. It's not going to just be like a no straight problem. run. Yeah. Because I ramble and then it just it would be like a three-hour interview. Four with my ramble. <laughs> three plus my three plus your two yeah, would be yeah, like exactly. a five-hour. Can <laughs> you tell me a little bit about what Mr. Green is? Give me kind of like the elevator pitch sort of. Elevator pitch for Mr. Green. I've been working on that perpetually over the last two years. Okay. But essentially, Mr. Green is a shop and lifestyle brand whose sole purpose is to create products that are designed forward 
and all come back to uh, cannabis or marijuana or whatever term you'd like to use um, as the central concept. Megan co-founder Alex Malin and Ariel have become close friends. They collaborated together on Alex's inaugural photo show, Flower, which featured a t-shirt with the shop. The friendship is clearly defined by a shared love for design, the quirkiness of loose and distinctly humanistic design, and of course, the green stuff. Listen in on the two connect over Ariel's history, the ramp up to Mr. Green, and the cannabis industry as a whole. This story is a lot longer than what we usually do at Macon, but the effortless convo and the banter balanced by the heavier topics were ultimately the best way to convey the story of Mr. Green, Ariel, and the ever-evolving cannabis and marijuana space. What term do you guys use? Do you have like a singular word that you... No, because I it always depends on who I'm talking to, right? Uh, and and if I think that they're comfortable with the word marijuana, yeah. And if it's or, or if I should say weed, right? Or if I should, you know what I mean? That's always a challenge for me. I'm always like, do I say cannabis because mm-hmm. it's more like professional sounding? Yeah. Do I say weed because it's more like common? You yeah. know, like I never know. Yeah, I guess the term marijuana keeps coming up a lot. It's like a controversial history, right? It's a controversial word. Yep. It's got a, I mean, essentially it was used to, you know, subvert Mexican people who enjoyed smoking pot. Yep. Uh, So it was used in a, in a way that it was, was supposed to, you know, infer a a type of criminality or unwanted, or how did you say wantonness or something like that, you know? And I think that it's a totally unfair, fair that it happened, you know, in yeah. general. I think that we, as this sort of next generation, people who are actually using the drug both for health and uh, recreation to kind of reclaim reclaim that word a little sure. bit. Sure, Taking it back, you yeah. know, taking it back from the racist people that essentially yeah. used it to, you know, disenfranchise a certain group of individuals, uh, specifically, as I mentioned, Mexican people, think that we should seek to take it back and and bring it back to what it, it should be, which is a, a word of beauty and of power, of pure, like, literary... You'll have to forgive me. It, I know what you mean. I just, I just think it's definitely the most beautiful word to describe it. Totally. Know, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so I actually, I want to get into that What's your sort of background, yep. um, maybe pre-Mr. Green? like Taking it all the way back, I studied like a hybrid design program at the University of Oregon. Okay. Um, Where are you from originally? I'm actually? from Portland. Okay. And I went to Eugene uh, kind of before I even knew that being a designer was something that people could do. I guess the other maybe most well-known thing about Eugene is the fact that it's kind of one of the last vestiges of American hippiedom, if you will, you know, Uh, super well known for being a a very leftist community, Mm -hmm. very known as a marijuana, uh, you know, interested community, just in general, any type of counterculture, you know, behavior or, you know, history could somehow have, you know, ties to Eugene, so to speak. So in a way that was sort of always a little bit of the fabric of like your upbringing, right? Totally. So, and and even bringing it back to Portland, where I grew up was, 
the Hawthorne district. Okay. And I remember somebody once described Hawthorne as the Eugene of Portland. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it was very much like that kind of mindset in a neighborhood, you know, as well. So you could definitely take from all of that, that, uh, there was a lot built into my like personal history that found its way into the store. Sure. Sure. (laughs) And then, um, at what point did you, what would you call yourself? Creative director, art director, designer? What do you even? Yeah. Some art director, designer, I I guess. I mean, I have to, I have to be a creative director now, you know, uh, I'm only starting to understand how, you know, important that becomes to becomes, you know, uh, when you're having to get a lot of work done and, um, look at a lot of, you know, sort of aspects of the brand, you know? So basically, you know, just kind of speeding through the the personal history aspect, left college early as well, uh, moved to New York. So didn't finish. That was the thing. I didn't, I didn't finish before I left, Okay. but I kind of finagled together a degree what, like online after the fact? or I mean, I, I took online classes. I took classes <laughs> in New York. I took classes like uh, I took tons of independent studies like from my university directly. Right. I probably got so many extra amounts of credit. Like I wasted tons of money <laughs> just purely, like purely so I didn't have to go back to Eugene. So I was really I mean, it's kind of funny that in a way this description of like, um, maybe what I'm trying to do is not go like with this, with this store and with this brand is to, and I'm doing quotes right now, <laughs> not go back to Eugene. Right. right because right. everything about Eugene sort of weed culture is the um, predominant sort of like all of the, the iconography was like born out of that kind of culture. Right. And like so the pro- that prototypical, like, stoner kind of hippie look is sort like of born out of that blown glass. I mean, I think you could even blow glass as like a, a maybe not a major, but a minor <laughs> in college, you know, <laughs> everything about it really was kind of that, you know, classic sure, tapestries sure. on the wall, tie dye, everything, white people with dreadlocks, you know, like, the, like blown glass, like the whole nine yards, you yeah. know, was Eugene culture. And At what point did you like, when did you leave? Oregon for the first time and what what prompted you to leave? I actually left for a study abroad program. I lived in Barcelona. Pretty similar to Eugene in that same sense. Yeah. Kind of the things that I was re- referring to. Yeah. And uh, don't read my words as me making some big, you know, critique or like putting this, you know, that, that culture down. Sure. Really... And truly, uh, what uh, I've experienced in my life, kind of uh, with all of those, you know, that, that, how would you say, my existence, you know, being a, like a sort of citizen of, of, of Eugene or of Hawthorne Boulevard or whatever, yeah. has really just made me died in the wall. Right. You know, I'm, I'm extremely, uh, how would you say, comfortable with that kind of thing or whatever is, is not, would not be a, an appropriate, you know, way to describe it. Yeah. It's very much within me. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, no, totally, totally. You know? That makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. So it's, it's funny because, um, I have a lot of discussions with people about what, you know, what the shop is and, and so much of it ends up, um, sounding like I'm against the, the old way, so mm-hmm. to speak. And it's, 
definitely not the case. In your words, or kind of like from your point of view, like how is Mr. Green different than that, like sort of look or aesthetic or culture that you're referring to? In those other, you know, whatever, 17 years or something like that? Yeah. Or, wait, no, that would make me like 45. Uh, <laughs> in those other, let's say like 12 years or something yeah. like that, I just, I, I had a lot of different experiences, you know, worked in uh, different capacities in terms of like, I was like a marketing director for like a Mercedes Benz led digital magazine. Okay. Uh, I opened my own, um, craft design, like branding studio. One of my longest standing sort of work relationships is with Ace Hotel. Okay. And that's probably the most important and foundational for what led me here because what they did was they looked at the hospitality industry and then just the, the concept of what a hotel was and ultimately decided that it wasn't for them, mm-hmm. although they obviously stayed in hotels a lot, you know, yeah, and, and, yeah. and knew that, you know, world very well. And this is a pre or post Alex's passing, Alex from Ace. Alex was definitely a mentor of mine. Okay. Um, I met him when I was 21, I guess. Something okay. Like that. Well, yeah. yeah. So that was... I want to say close to 10 years before yeah, he passed yeah. away, something like that. So like, the, I mean, the really the formative years of Ace. Yeah, yeah. I, I met him, I can't remember if it was six months, probably six months to a year before Ace Portland opened. Okay, okay. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so that, and that was my first introduction into the Ace thing was helping them uh build ace portland and interesting and then i stayed on for about a month or something like that actually at that point i had already been going back and forth to new york okay and uh and i and i was part of the you know official like uh front desk staff really uh, yeah at the at the at the uh, ace portland oh in portland in portland yeah exactly (laughs) so like if you were checking in i would see you i was that guy yeah Yeah, totally Um, what, what did you wear? Was there like an Ace Portland uniform? You know, it's it's weird that you we started immediately started talking about that because, or or when you said that guy, yeah. I, I was that guy for a lot of people because I had like a, I was really into like super skinny jeans at the time. Yeah. I think I was wearing like probably Cheap Mondays or something like yeah. that, and my hair was really oh, long. Cheap Monday, you know, and I just remember the hotel. Even I think it was even pre official opening. There was some like hotel blog or something like that. And somebody like commented like, stay there if you want to. <laughs> like, a, like a, you know, young know-it-all hipster kid with tight jeans to check you in or something, you know, something along those lines. Yeah. It was pretty funny. I mean, like short of calling me out by name. Right. Everybody yeah, yeah. knew, you know. It was like a stock photo of you. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um. So Ace Hotel, and when when you say that Ace Hotel was, I guess, instrumental or, or, or influential, I don't want to put words in your mouth, both, um, but both. just just <laughs> yeah. in terms of kind of what they did to a traditional model and sort of like disrupting it and yeah. like doing it in a fresh way, is that what you mean? Totally. Um, I I you know. I always hesitate to use quick marketing terms like disruption yeah, yeah, and uh, fail better yeah, you know, yeah. and things like that. Um, although I do see their use, yeah. uh, I just honestly think that they had kind of the, almost like a project in mind. I don't know if they necessarily realized how far it could go. But yeah, I mean, ultimately they... Uh, at least Alex's background was, he was a 
like a vintage buyer and had like a, I guess, I, I, I want to say maybe it was, I can't remember if it was a public facing store or if it was like for private. I think okay. it was probably public facing. You know, he was like a vintage buyer and then um, uh, opened a club called Aerospace. Okay. Um, funny enough, before working for Ace, I was actually a doorman at a club in Portland that was like apparently used aerospace as their like main source of inspiration. So it was kind of you like basically an all- like worked everywhere. <laughs> I mean, I've bounced around lots of different careers. This is all like pre, you know, being I had to have been man. Well, I don't want to incriminate myself or anybody else, but I'm pretty sure I was legally able to work the door at a club. You know, <laughs> uh, what is that like? Eighteen? You gotta be eighteen. No, it'd be twenty-one, and that's why I'm hesitating. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Um, Even to work the door, you gotta be yeah. of age, right? I was, um, I was running around with a uh, like a fake ID for a long time, and so the, the, the dates become blurry, you know. Right, right, but that right. that'd be a hard thing to like. You gotta be like really messing with. I mean, there's some such messing with some documents, anyways, you know. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly, right? No, you're absolutely right about that. Yeah. And then you lived in Tokyo, right? Like, I don't want to jump to, I don't, I mean, we can pick yeah, it we however can, you want, can, but I'm, yeah. I want to get to like these different places you've For been sure. because I think some of it plays into like the design totally. of everything. So, uh, so basically I was in New York for 10 years and then, uh, with Ace, not no. just with Ace. I mean, I did, I did, the, <laughs> okay. like I aforementioned, you know, marketing projects yeah, and yeah, branding yeah. studio and, uh, more stuff with Ace, um, throughout those years. And also my responsibilities at Ace totally varied as well, you know. How, how did you get, like, at what point did you sort of do that freelance thing where you were, like, doing different projects with different people? Or was that something that you just naturally kind of uh, grew into? Well, I sort of, it was more of a natural realization that I, I'm, I'm not the... I don't love working for other people necessarily. Yeah. Or, like, I don't, having, I, I don't like having a boss, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, say that I can't work for people because I have all my life. And, uh, and I certainly, you know, look at, uh, the importance of, of mentorship and, and actually being able to be a workable, you know, employee and, and all of those things. I, I think those are incredibly important. Yeah. I will say that I, I tired quickly of a lot of these jobs and that's why I kind of bounced around. Pretty typical millennial story, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even without you knowing it, you've always had a little bit of just like an entrepreneurial spirit in the sense of you kind of had your way of doing things or you had a point of view on things and you didn't always work well in like a super structured, you know, people telling you exactly how to do it. You wanted to kind of carve your own lane, I guess. Yeah, I would, um, I would tend to agree. However, I would also say that if I know I want to learn something from somebody, I'm not like wasting the, their time, you know, right. I'm going to get as much as I can out of that, which means I'll give the most that I possibly could. And, you know, I would say Alex was a good example of that. I worked for the global creative director at Converse for a little while. That was another job that I had it was a, I was a production Started out as a production assistant, then moved up to, I don't know, lead or whatever you want to call it yeah. for, for Converse. Also in, in New York. In, oh, New yeah. York. Okay. When, when somebody kind of like, quote unquote, like knows what's up, you know, yeah. I, um, I try to uh, shut up very quickly. Speak when spoken to kind of a situation, <laughs> yeah, 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 you know. Yeah. 
A chance to travel to Japan alongside his girlfriend at the time would be a life changer for Ariel thanks to his girlfriend's manager. That initial trip and the hookups would cement Japan as one of the most important places for Ariel and push him to find a reason to go back time and time again. I started going to Japan maybe now, close to 10 years ago, something like that. That was my first time out there. Like 2007. It would have been 2008, I think. Okay. Yeah. Maybe 2009. <laughs> Neither here nor there. It was close. <laughs> it, was, it was, let's just say, eight to 10 years, right? Okay. okay. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> totally. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Between eight, yeah, and, eight and 10 years. Yeah. Some, something around the ball, ballpark. Started going to Japan and it blew my mind. I was only there mm-hmm. for 10 days and... Uh, just a personal trip? Or? I Okay, so my, my ex-girlfriend was a musician and she had a, a pretty instantaneous fan base out there. Okay. And uh, and so she did a like a mini tour. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's cool. And so we spent most of the trip in Tokyo. Okay. But then uh, maybe a day and a half, two days in, in Osaka. As it happened, her tour manager happened to be this like super awesome dude had really vast and interesting connections throughout the city and apparently is kind of like a local legend he's like uh he, he's like um eric clapton's like personal assistant when he's in town oh, wow. you know like that kind of a thing yeah. uh, like he's kind of been in the game for a while for for a bit yeah so i remember like you know whatever it was 2008 uh or 2009 going to tokyo and like you know, I had like a couple of Visvim things and <laughs> knew what Goro's was, like yeah. that kind of a thing. And I show up and this dude is like head to toe, like decked out. you know, in every like possible, you know, he just, except for the fact that he was like 45 at the time <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. But he was just like this legit, you know, like. He just had a steez. He, he had like a, he had like the streetwear lord status like <laughs> going, you know, uh, which was obviously crucial to me at, at that period, you sure. know. And it was, it was funny. I mean, he, you know, ended up taking us to Goro's and like he's close with them. So there was no. So you had like the real we, in the we, first time it was, you were there. It was kind of ridiculous, like how, yeah, he opened some some doors pretty fast, which was really cool. cool. Um, a lot of people that I would end up sort of uh, reconnecting with via, uh, you know, different people. And then even like funny enough, I remember I became close to the Son of the Cheese team um, oh, really? in Tokyo, <laughs> like uh, much later on. And then we all like went out with like the old school and this like sort of new school crew. Yeah. And it was really funny because all the old older generation they had all knew about kaito for example uh-huh. and kaito definitely knew about them so it was just really like politicking a little bit right, you know? right, right. <laughs> especially in japan there's also like that kind of you know seniority thing and for all this sure. stuff right yeah. absolutely i mean it was a very it was a it was a super fun outing you know cool. their worlds don't even really meet at all but for whatever reason you know it's one of those like kind of like small town sort of situations yeah you know? That's really cool. I would love to like riff on that for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> but well, I guess I guess so. So the point is, is went on that initial initial sort of like foundational trip. Mm-hmm. After that, I was basically trying to get back to Japan as much as I could. Okay, it took me two years. Were you you yeah. were inspired by Japan? Oh, like unbelievably so. You know, it became like the most like a uh, important place for me after that. Essentially, yeah. After going into the extensive history behind Ariel, we finally talk about how Mr. Green came about. 
Everything in his past had some purpose in building the shop in some shape or form and what it stood for. Towards the end of Ariel's time at Ace Hotel, he was put in charge of helping develop shop products, which would carry over into Mr. Green. At what point does kind of Mr. Green come into the picture? Okay. Um, like, was this something that you just sort of always had in the back of your head? Yeah. Like, how does it all evolve from what you're doing then till now? So while I was working at Ace, my last role specifically was developing shop products and, you know, that whole thing. It was basically like a hybrid brand manager and I don't want to... A culture curator. Well, I was, I was the, technically, the, was the really? term was a, a cultural engineer. <laughs> yes. um, I love but, those job titles. Uh, <laughs> and, and I mean, they, they were like famous for them as yeah. well, you know? A culture director. Which was, I mean, like Alex was a cultural engineer until he passed away. Absolutely, you know? yeah. He, I don't think he ever put any sort of like president or founder or anything yeah. like that on his card. You know, it was always cultural engineer. Number one was, you know, what That's we cool. always referred to him as, right? It's pretty funny. Obviously, like, he's kind of a legend, right? So, yeah. I mean, they, uh, they, you, they definitely you, yeah. set that model of like kind of just a, a lifestyle brand, you know, um, diffusing all these different elements of, For sure. you know, what a cultured lifestyle looks which like. Is, which is kind of like the entry point of Mr. Green comes from, basically, is, uh, you know, I was... Doing, you know, I had my sort of, you know, career there or, or, you know, my whatever you want to describe that as and starting to look at, you know, what was next. And while I was there and, you know, it was so crucial, obviously, that I was in that role at -hmm. that time, because as I was thinking about, you know, what came next, there was just so many things that would was in that were indicating, you know, that it would be like a sort of weed related, you know, venture. Of course, you know, I've always enjoyed it, uh, but it wasn't like so front and center and prominent in a different way. Like it was the few years before I started mm-hmm. every single year. It was like, you know, Colorado goes legal and then, or like was going to, you know, and then it did. And then, you know, Oregon was yeah. maybe going to go and then it did. And, you know, obviously Washington, even before that, and, yep. you know, just, um, you know, looking at all these like, you know, cannabis magazines that I'd never heard, you know, didn't know they existed. Yeah. I was looking at all these, like specifically like the players involved. I was also looking at, I was looking at people's points of reference, the type of uh, design decisions they were making. I really, all I, seem to be able to, you know, like find or whatever, or whatever pathways people were creating all seemed to be like kind of around the same thing. Mm-hmm. It was either like rap image, like that kind of a mm-hmm. thing, keeping it, you know, quite like street focused, if you will. Yep. And then you had like the um, luxury, quote unquote, yeah. you know, luxury was like kind of like a gaudy. Like- I mean, it was just always really gaudy, right? Yeah. Everything was like gilded gold <laughs> yeah. and like... You know, it was just, it was interesting to me that sort of, I mean, I, I could understand the street thing because it's always been a thing. Right, right. It was like the pendulum swung. Oh, together. just like so yeah. far and, and leaving no room in between. Well, actually, sorry. The room in between was like this third pathway, which was tech. Everybody would describe it as, uh, you know, this new dispensary is the Apple store of weed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I always hear that <laughs> Apple store of weed. The Apple you know? of, of the weed world. And I, I remember looking at, you know, images of all these places that they were describing. And I was like, that looks like a like a broke <laughs> radio shack, yeah. you know. And I just what it seemed to me and, and I've definitely benefited fully off of this same sort of a. Uh, general like point of view is that 
there was so much extra um, attention or like applause afforded to these companies who were thinking about you know the the weed business in in these new ways right but aesthetically i mean it they was were like missing the mark they were completely missing the mark i i i was well how can i say that you know what i mean like the most popular companies are um generally not the most like aesthetically True. driven you True. know yeah what's the website like that we all the look commer- at commercially successful and aesthetically like really elevated art two different kind Absolutely. of tracks right yeah. but what i was saying is like what's the website we look at the most every day uh the google search page right yeah. well i use a browser but yes okay google, yeah, i use google chrome sure sure <laughs> I, I i too use the search yeah. url have bar. you heard of this yeah. thing where you can just type it into <laughs> exactly. the url bar? so hypothetically if we were going to the google page yes you know that brand is Absolutely. you know famously like low quality yeah. you yeah. know they break all the rules or whatever. And, you know, obviously nobody cares even if they love good design. Right. But that then was, with, with Mr. Green, did you see just like um, kind of an aesthetic opening or, or did you also just see like a space to actually like even from maybe a business side of, of, of doing something that was all, fit your aesthetic that you wanted to achieve, but well, also had some kind of commercial potential? I just looked at there being a lot of openings was the truth, you know, because yeah. really people were totally falling into these three pathways and kind of like not veering too far yeah. off of the other. I just simply, per, you know, on a, on a very personal level, had been waiting for maybe two years to see something that even remotely spoke to me, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I didn't see it. And I remember just this funny <laughs> I remember when I had that really moment of reckoning where it was like I can't believe there is no weed brand that is like calling my name or something like that <laughs> and then I in that same moment I was like maybe I should make that brand this like existential yeah, moment yeah. Of like <laughs> and almost with almost without a doubt that moment happened in the shower really yeah okay and so I was I probably was like clapping my hands or something like that in the shower going, exactly. Exactly. And I was like, I know what I'm going to do. I pretty much like got fixated onto it and left my job pretty quickly after that. Once I'm impulsive about something, you know, it's like I knew I was going to leave New York. So I was like, I'm going to move to Japan. You know, after all these years, I'm going to just move there with no plan and nothing, you know, da, 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 da. And I was like, I'm going to do this weed brand and it's all going to work out, you know? Yeah. And if it doesn't work out, I have like, I can plan ahead, but I don't, when it comes to these kinds of things, I can, I, I can't see five feet in front of me. Yeah. I'm just going for it. You know? Are you, so. are you a planner or are you not a planner in general? <sighs> Justin. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a better question for these guys. Oh man. Uh, I would say... In practical terms, no, I'm not a planner. I am extremely, uh, what's the opposite of being a planner? I'm, I'm extremely uh, spontaneous. Yeah, that's the, uh, yeah. The, po- the the right word to say. <laughs> yeah. To a very serious fault, I'm extremely spontaneous. Yes. I think that there are some positive positive attributes to that. But man, I, I have I give myself lots of headaches. So you have, you have this, you're showering, you have this yeah. epiphany. <laughs> yes. And you're like, I, this is what I got to do. Yeah. Um, you're in New York at the time. Yep. And this is uh, what? What year is this? This is uh, 
Oh, oh man, I almost said 2008, the year I went to Japan <laughs> uh, for the first time. Uh, that was the real yeah, seed exactly. that was planted, right? <laughs> this was maybe three and a half years ago. And then when did, yeah, how did that, when the aha happened. When did you go from shower to yeah, like, okay, I have, I'm, I'm in LA, I'm like mm-hmm. legit about this business thing. Ooh, oh man. I, Am I even there yet? <laughs> uh, I'm still in that shower. Yeah, you're uh, still in the- <laughs> Okay, so basically what I what I saw happening was, okay, I'm going to go to Japan. That's for sure, like a, a certain thing. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay, I'll get, a, I'll get a job there. I'll get a visa. And I'll stick around there for a co- at least a couple of years and figure this thing out. Right. Like kind of as a... Uh, as a side, but you know, an important side project. You sure. Know. Six months in Japan, so you know everything. So you like, actually did move. You, you I up, you uprooted up my life and I and I moved. Okay. I I did two separate you know trips there and back, kind of a scenario. Yeah. Uh, with maybe uh, I think like a month in between, something like that. And on that second month, like the first month was like, you know, really getting into the groove. Do I want to live here? And the second month was like got to get a job here. And at the same time, like I had this unbelievable agitation, this feeling that was eating me like alive that I wasn't giving enough time to that other promise that I had made. Okay. I was going to move to Japan, but I was going to launch this business. Mm-hmm. And I think I had mocked up my website, which is almost the same as the site now. So um, you, you already knew the name. I knew the name. I had multiple iterations of the branding, you know, uh, that are you all done yourself. Totally. I mean, I, yeah. Yeah. This is you. This the, is you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like we're sitting in the store and it's like, you know, I like built the shelves with my buddy Winston and, <laughs> yeah. you know, he actually, he made me do all the like unskilled labor things, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he did the, he did the like fine stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much have like you been, do. You know, I've, I've been a part of like every single you know thing that, yeah. I've, that I've done, or I shouldn't say a part of it. I I, I did it all. <laughs> I'm not trying to sound like like. What, a, uh, I mean, what what do you do? Like, what are all the things that you you're doing with the shop right now? And what is what does that mean for you? Like, you're doing brand. I mean, you can run down the list. Yeah, I didn't I didn't mean that to sound weird that I did like. I mean, obviously, I could take credit for Mr. Green <laughs> and that would probably be well understood by everybody. But saying you that have I did, your hands saying that everything. I did it all was, was just to explain was very much like I couldn't afford to pay anybody else to do it. Totally. And, uh, and of course I called in some favors for people to help me on some projects that I knew I couldn't do myself, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, but aside from that, you know, I, I you know, if you got a package uh, a year, a year and a half before a year and a half ago, one hundred percent chance that was me <laughs> who packed it for you. Right, you know? right, right. And I'm sorry for the way I folded your shirt. Right. You know, um, or if there was a little dust on it. But so it's, sorry. It's tender loving care. Yeah, exactly. It was just real. You know. Yeah. When you started the store, mm-hmm. it's. I mean, it's all like it was bootstrapped. It wasn't yeah. like you had any like investor or anything like that. Like you, this is no. literally your um, blood, sweat, and tears here lots of tears <laughs> lots of tears so you moved you were in Tokyo for that stint you kind of you you had this desire that you knew you needed to yeah. actually deliver on this promise you made to yourself essentially of like i need to do mr green yeah um so i i thought i was going to stay in tokyo and do it it wasn't until about 2 weeks before i um 
before I left Tokyo that I actually knew that I was going to leave. And I'd always had, you know, go, moving to LA sort of in my, I, I, I kind of called it like moving it like, or, um, just holding it in my back pocket, if you will, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, you know, because I'm American and I didn't have to deal with visas and I had a lot of friends here and like, and it didn't seem like, is that your, is that your meter? My meter. My meter. I should run up here real quick. Where is it? Are you- LA parking, man. Sucks. Had to I- read one, you know, figure out which one of the four signs. Oh man. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's the right, the right <laughs> one. I'm sorry. No, no, Anyways. all good. All good. I just, I, I kind of had, you know, LA as like a backup plan. Okay. Um, yeah. And I remember I like, I think three days before, this is like very typical, like me style. <laughs> three days before I moved here, I hit up my buddy, Chris, and I was like, hey, dude, I'm coming back. Can I sleep on your couch for a week? <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I guess. <laughs> he was like, yeah, he was like, yeah, sure, buddy. Stay with me as long as you want. And after three days, he was like, get the fuck out of my house. Uh, When I said for as long as you want, I really didn't mean it. (laughs) So, yeah, basically, like, kind of got everything underway. And as soon as I got a place to live here, I was like full bore. Like, I got to launch this immediately. I left Japan on somewhere like very like dead middle of October. Mm -hmm. January 1st, 2016. We opened as an online store. (laughs) (laughs) And a couple of weeks before that, for friends only. Just to make sure that we could, that I, well, we, I always say we because it gives the impression that we actually, (laughs) that there's a a massive staff. At this point, after two years, it's Justin and I. Justin is my lovely part timer. Who's just like creeping right now? Part above time, the- full heart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, he's, um, he's creeping in the shadows. So, 2016 yeah. started his online store. Yep. What was what was on it at the time? Ooh. What were you curating? So, I think I had about uh, three or four T-shirt styles. Okay. A few hats and um, some uh, some of the MB stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of the Summerland stuff. Okay. So that was, um, that was actually like super crucial. I think, you know, for people to understand what I was doing. Cause I used to tell people I'm, I'm starting a marijuana lifestyle brand and they'd be like, the f- like, what the fuck does that mean? You know? <laughs> yeah. And I still stum like stutter a little bit when I explain, you know, depending on who I'm speaking with, but, sure. um, we were talking about that elevator pitch. I still don't quite have it down, especially yeah. cause I don't know. I feel like it's sometimes good to, think about what you're doing and, and consider maybe that there's a better definition yeah. to, uh, absolutely to use, you know? So, yeah. So I, I just had a, 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 like a small handful of apparel of, you know, of home goods. And so I guess more that's or less, it. You, you kind of like launched, it was sort of like launching a brand plus some multi-brand like yeah. where you're stocking things. When when you just start making T-shirts and you're telling telling people that you're a marijuana lifestyle brand, they're gonna scratch their head because you know obviously like I hate to break it to you kids, if you start a T-shirt company, that doesn't necessarily mean you're a lifestyle brand, right, you know. Right. And I'm saying that in the most loving way, but yeah, there needs to be things that you know explain that you know. Yeah. If you wanted to start a skate brand, you know, and make T-shirts that 
that involved skating, then, you know, then it becomes the lifestyle brand because you're attaching to something else. You yes. Know? Yeah. In this case, I didn't really have too much to attach myself onto, especially from the point of view that I was trying to approach. So having these other brands was even way more important, you know, to this general concept yeah. than like having clothing <laughs> that was like right. the clothing I've always referred to as almost like souvenir clothing mm-hmm. because it really all it says is, Hey, I went to the store or smoking weed or yeah. I like this person's like, or this brand's like uh, what they kind of stand for, right. you know, some kind of like, I experience this in my own personal way. And that's where the lifestyle thing really happens yeah. is when you actually have a personal connection to that and you're kind of living it. Right. right. So somebody wearing my t-shirt, it, that wasn't a lifestyle, you know, yeah, there's yeah, yeah. This, the person wearing a t-shirt, you know, <laughs> Being like, okay, this is a place where I can actually get um, things like pipes or containers, right. something like that, that don't look like the sort of normal, you know, head shop, mm-hmm. you know, type of scenario. That becomes a lifestyle. That's that's what you interact with, and and you have much more of a relationship to, right? Yeah. So I've just continually, you know, attempted to build upon that notion, you know, attaching a brand to it. Uh, it, might, it might be a whole like vanity thing. I don't even know. And, yeah, I mean, what is kind of the intention of Mr. Green, the the brand itself? The brand. I mean, would you say clothing brand or is just you say brand because you're doing a lot of other things, right? Not just yeah, I mean, self goods, I guess. The clothing thing. I mean, uh, I would I would put more of an emphasis on the clothing if I was making much more like a, of like a cut and sew like like type of, if I was a fashion designer, so to speak, you know, but I do kind of mean it when it, when it, when I say, you know, a souvenir type of stuff, you know, cause these are just easy things. I I knew how important it was to make t-shirts and I didn't want to take away any of the emphasis based on what I said earlier, because I knew that not everybody who came to the site or as it, you know, as it exists now to the store, not everybody's going to come in and buy a bong, you know. Right. However, <laughs> if they're just into, you know, if they found themselves in here or, or specifically like targeted, you know, coming, yeah, they want to maybe leave with something, you know, and that's where those, you know, it's where like Hollywood High, you know, <laughs> yeah. seventy six, like nineteen seventy six shirt comes in or something right, like that, you right, know. Right. And I wanted to make as much, or I just want to continue to just make little things that maybe put a smile on somebody's face or like evil grin or I'm not even sure. <laughs> a smirk. Like, a smirk or whatever, you know, it is that, that you react to uh, when you see something that you like or that you re- relate to or you don't necessarily relate to or yeah. you chuckle at or whatever it is, you know. Why did you open a, a brick and mortar then if it, if it started as e-com and, and you were already reaching people that way? Some, you know, some people would say like, well, going brick and mortar is counterintuitive to, you know, 2017, 2018. Opening a brick and mortar was, was definitely counterintuitive based on a lot of things, you know, like, could I afford it? (laughs) Um, I've always been a a shop rat, you know, since I was a little kid, I I just wouldn't say that I grew up with means at all. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm I'm like a middle-aged white kid, or excuse me, middle class, middle-aged. Middle- well, I don't, I, I don't <laughs> you think I'm middle-aged yet. Yeah. I'm a middle, I'm like I was born a middle-class, you know, uh, of yeah, at least that definition kind of existed 30 yeah. years ago. White kid in America, that affords you a lot right there. Yeah. However, 
did I come from some great means? Not necessarily, you know, my parents definitely put the emphasis on, on things you could experience versus like things you could whatever show off with or something like that, you know? So like you really started this just with money that you had saved from like your days of working in those former roles or what? The reason why I'm shaking my head, like in a kind of (laughs) funny way is I just didn't save that much money. Yeah. I like, (laughs) I I could just give like, I, I, at some point maybe I'll write a book on like terrible business advice (laughs) for every entrepreneur to not follow. And that would basically be the more or less like story of this. Yeah. You know, I just, I did every wrong thing and I, think that maybe when you do things the wrong way and I don't mean in some fail better kind of way yeah. you know when you do things you know when you swim upstream or whatever you'll end up attracting uh, people who are, are similarly you know swimming in that in that direction yeah I think that those tend to be the most special people obviously like they're just it's just a different you know path Sure, sure, that sure. we have to take for whatever terrible reason, yeah. you know, start. Basically, I just started the company on like a credit card and like a little bit of money. And and I mean, like, l- let's say less than two thousand dollars, I think, was wow. when I started yeah. it. And a lot of favors from from, you know, people like, you know, like my mom, for example, you know, she loaned me like, uh, she loaned me six grand so I could open a store and, you know, for some, some people to ask their mom, that's a totally impossible thing. And like respect, I actually didn't think that she was going to, you know, and I'm sorry to be so candid on this too, but like, whatever, you know, I, I love, I love it. But it was like, I totally, I didn't think that she, you know, maybe she had that like kicking around for like something really important, but not, you know, for me to, try to take this like next step or whatever, you know, you know, and that was two years, almost two years in too. Right. So just to to kind of like step back, you know, yeah, I I started this on almost nothing. Yeah. And, uh, but which is, is interesting because I think it, it speaks to whether, you know, intentionally or not, it speaks to like the level of conviction that you had. And I mean, you were literally in Tokyo and then you were like, I'm, I need to do this. Yeah. Move here. You're not really set up to do it, you know, in terms of like what, you know, yeah. by the book, but you did it anyways. Yeah. And, and on that notion of, uh, going back to LA, I, I think kind of you, you hit the nail on the head. I realized that I actually probably could have made a cooler brand in Tokyo, <laughs> you know, but it wouldn't have made that much sense because culturally maybe it would have been embraced, but not necessarily for authentic reasons. Yeah. Because of the infrastructure that's built in, sure. laws greatly prohibit. I've, I've actually heard of things like uh, police being stationed near head shops and things like that. So they can shake people down who they think maybe brought weed in wow. the country, you know, things like that. This is all like Internet forum kind of talk. But, yeah. you know, this is truthfully things that I've read. To switch things up, we asked the Make and Slack community for some of their questions. These questions are less focused on Mr. Green and Ariel, but the whole cannabis space and some of the important socioeconomic topics that have been a big part of the dialogue that's going on. So, you know, we have that Slack community for Macon. Like we uh-huh. have a, a whole Slack channel with like a bunch of all of the, the members and readers are on it. Um, so before I came here, 
I, I just asked a few people, like I left an open note, like, hey, I'm doing this interview with Ariel. If anyone has any questions that they want to ask, like feel free to submit and I'll like ask a few. So I have a few questions from oh, like cool. making readers. Awesome. Um, it, the bad questions are cool too. Yeah, yeah. Some of them, <laughs> we got to see the bad ones. But, but uh, you know, a lot of them are, are less necessarily just about like, you know, what is the store about or yeah. what is the brand about? And it's more like we value this guy's opinion on the broader industry because I think you sit at that intersection of just smoking weed and sort of bringing it into, for lack of a better term, that lifestyle mm-hmm. space. And what does that even mean? You know, like if you're not... You don't smoke weed. How, could you be into Mr. Green? Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that's a great question, I guess. Mm. Do you think, do you get people that just fuck with the brand, but don't actually smoke or is it? That was actually a really important sort of way I looked at my future potential consumer mm-hmm. was I wanted people who loved smoking weed, but also people who just loved design. Yes. Maybe the person who loved smoking weed didn't think too much about the design, but mm-hmm. you had, a, had an interest. The person who loved design, maybe had an interest in smoking weed. Yeah. That was my three circle. Yeah. What's that called? Yeah, yeah. Like a Venn diagram. Venn diagram. Yeah, Venn diagram. They'd, they'd yeah. be somewhere in the middle, you know, yeah, absolutely. or on those, you know, on those fringes between that, you know, that area. Is that you know. happening in practice? I mean, the people that are shopping and the people you're interacting with, is it the people you thought you would be? Yeah. 100%. <laughs> totally. <laughs> And what's also cool about that is that uh, those people are men, women, they're every race, they're pretty broad in age too. Yeah. You know, that like uh, the feedback that I kept getting from like uh, the dudes at Union, uh, dudes and dudettes at Union, uh, were that there'd be this type of like father figure who came to Union for his kid to pick up whatever, you know, like, uh, let's just say like off white or something like that. And he'd be checking the racks himself and he'd be like, Hmm, what's this? (laughs) What's this? You know? And it immediately resonated with his sort of like, you know, yeah, his like, uh, his personal relationship with weed or, you know, maybe he immediately had some sort of nostalgic kick or something along those lines, you know? Um, I built the brand around people getting a kick out of it, you yeah. know, and uh, and it definitely wasn't supposed to be like any one type of person. I like fear that like kids won't get it necessarily. And um, and I think that that is re- like for the most part is is actually like proving itself to be true because as we're reading kids are like less interested in smoking, like in smoking weed than their parents are at this yeah. point. Yeah. You know, which is <laughs> get it together, kids, yeah. you know, it's yeah, man. so wild, you know, you were talking about how you kind of did everything the wrong way. Yeah. I think someone asked something along the lines of like how you've built Mr. Green from day zero to now, would you have done anything differently? And if so, what? Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, Oh God. (laughs) So many things. Uh, Just to show you like how badly I've done things wrong. I still don't have a business banking account for this. (laughs) And and the reason being when I started, it was really tricky because I was still using some of my classic verbiage, you know, 
I'm a marijuana lifestyle brand. Right. Can you give me a yeah, bank course, account? Yeah. And they were like, fuck no. <laughs> you know? Right. Of course. And it even like, I even tried to get wiser, you know, like, uh, I sell apparel and home goods. Uh, <laughs> can I get a business account? They're like, sure. Let me, let, we just want to see your website. And then it, and then it was like, you send them like the <laughs> weed leaf tea yeah, or Exactly. Yeah. And it was like, it was just a no go. And I think that I could probably get away with it now, but I, you know, it's kind of like stunted me for at least a year. Yeah. At this yeah. Point, yeah. You know, any, um, like some highs and lows just over the last, you know, like what are weekly, man? <laughs> I mean, no, <laughs> Justin and I are laughing because like, no matter what we do, we can, we can pack a box full of clothing. We can recheck it 150 times. And when we, when it shows up at the store, they go, uh, yeah, we're like short a few shirts. <laughs> like what happened? There's oh you know what I mean? something like that. Yeah. And you're, you're referring to like your wholesale accounts yeah, that you're, you're selling to it. Totally. Yeah. And we have, we have a store in, in London. It's literally said that they were going to dock us money if the, or if the quantities were wrong. So we rechecked it probably like five times each. And sure enough, we got the list and I, I'm starting to like, I don't want to like, do you say think they're like pulling one over on you? Maybe? I mean, I don't, I don't want to say, I actually don't want to blame the store. I, what I think, and, and this is just based on a very recent experience, U.S. Customs flagged a, a package that I sent oh, yeah. to Japan and I'm pretty sure it's U.S. I don't think it left the country and they said, uh, you're sending lighters out of the country because I, I declared oh, that, right? right? But a lighter with, you know, a, a refillable lighter with no fuel or anything like that yeah. is legal to send. And so they send back the package and I can't even like I we actually need to go through that list because there is a good amount of missing merchandise. Those lighters are gone. There is a brass rolling tray that was gone. I mean, we're talking some, about like customs warehouse guy was just like, oh, I'll take this. No I'll joke. And it looks like they threw it all on the floor and walked on it as they really? like went through it. Yeah. It's like like uh, unusable. And this, it, like you know, it got condition. docked at on U.S. territory, not in Japan. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So if we have a situation where we're sending clothing out and people are like cherry picking their Christmas presents, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, which, do you guys like tape absurd. it with like Mr. Green? Like do people know it from the outside? No, not no. at all. And and we're, we're also like, it's not like we're Gucci. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's why. Maybe you are to some people. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you are, and you don't even know that your brand right. is like that now. I'd I'd be surprised, Alex. <laughs> thank, thank you, though. Uh, it, I I just I, I genuinely don't know. Like I'm I'm stupefied by it because it's like what the fuck? Like yeah, you like how? Yeah. So now I'm I'm beginning to think that along those steps along the way, maybe things do end up getting like pulled out and. Not put I mean, back. Who knows you know? when that box leaves the your two eyes? Who knows what happens with it? You know? Truthfully, I mean, I'm not going to say we're like the world's best box packers, <laughs> you know. Um, but we don't have. Uh, there's just, you know, what I mean, like once once you put in that much extra work sure. to kind of like yeah, see yeah. something through, that kind of thing is it's really surprised, like shocking, I guess you could totally. say. And that like anything to do with production and shipping pretty much is a bipolar relationship. If you can avoid in your life shipping things or producing, making things, yeah. 
that are real, like digitally, you know, of course that comes with with its own frustrations, but physically just run the other way. Yeah. Run the other way. Unless you're doing it all yourself and that's another type of masochism. But if you are relying (laughs) on somebody else, man. Yeah. Turn and run. What, um, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) No, that's a, that was a really, you had some lows. Like what, what are just some wins or just some stuff that you've been really stoked about over the last year or two? Any, this is going to sound like silly, but like anytime anybody comes in and buys anything or like even comes in and they're like, this is a great shop, you know, is that how they sound when they, this is a great (laughs) almost always (laughs) or whatever, you know, anytime anybody has something nice to say, that feels amazing, you know, because it's like really hard to put stuff out in the world. I'll also say that I sometimes get a kick out of people talking shit, you know, (laughs) that's fine too. That's like a part of it. You know, and in fact, there's a certain validation. If somebody's taking the time to talk shit on what you're doing yeah. versus just completely writing it off, they always, you know, people always say. What do, you know? what do people say negative about you guys? What kind of shit do people talk? I don't think we've gotten there yet. I think <laughs> I think we're still too small. I mean, I remember early. No, I'm just kidding. Or I'm not kidding, but you know, uh, I remember early on, I saw like an editor tweet like a response to an article that um that came out i think it was like the first one of the first articles and they were they literally was so gq one or uh it wasn't gq no i think it was like a lookbook or something like that okay and it was it was literally like it was just one word they were just like nope (laughs) and i remember being so burned by that you know just like in the comment of the article someone no no no, they like they literally like responded to oh to you guys directly. not not to us not to us to like uh they responded to the whoever whatever it came out on oh like so it was like you know new mr green da 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 and they just commented nope and i was like <laughs> but it was like an editor too and i was just like shit you know do you do you engage with people like that like do you, will you comment at them or anything like that or you just let it be um, depends, depends on which day of the week. Yeah, it depends. Uh, I mean, in general, I I, I hate to be that kind of like uh, one of these like internet warrior type yeah. people where it's like when I see some racist shit on the internet or whatever, I'll usually like fire back pretty hard. Yeah. You know, I just can't let it be. Yeah. You yeah. know, um, but man, what about what a black hole that is. <laughs> yeah. It's like you can never really win. Oh. So it's kind of like... You cannot win. Yeah, you can't. You can only lose <laughs> in those occasions. Yeah. I've never walked away from like a, a like a <laughs> comment war being like, I, I feel, changed I feel much mind. better. Or like, I really <laughs> changed their mind. Or yeah. like, I made the world a little better today or something yes. like that. I always am like, fuck, like... That was an, like, that was that? that was definitely an hour, like, you know, that I'll never get back. You yeah, know, kind totally. Of and I feel bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Has your relationship with cannabis changed both like just in age and in profession over the last, let's say, I don't know, 10 years, you know, like has, it, has your relationship with cannabis changed through either Mr. Green or just through age? Yeah, no, it for sure has. I mean, 
I'm very much a part of this sort of new public awareness mm -hmm. about, you know, I, I, up until whatever it was, you know, three years ago, everything was weed to me, you know? Yeah. The, the best and most descriptive answer, I think pre, you know, pre that was, uh, sour diesel or something yeah. like that, you know, <laughs> that was it. Yeah. I really had a, had a pretty minuscule knowledge, you know, I've always smoked to get high these days. Now I can kind of tailor, make my experience, you yeah. know, which is pretty cool. And I also know what it's going to do. And I, for whatever reason, I, I, I've always considered myself to have a very low tolerance to mm -hmm. everything that I, I mean, I just do like kind of like runs in my family, if you will. I'm very affected by drugs, very affected by alcohol. Something that I was always worried about was if I ever found myself in like a business setting or whatever, <laughs> where people wanted to light up, yeah. uh, that I was going to be screwed for any sort of real business talk. Yeah. And sure enough, for the most part, that was true, you know, but it was way less excruciating than then than it is now. I mean, number one, because living in California, especially compared to New York, you just smoke a lot more weed yeah. and I grow plants at home and you know what I mean? It's just like, it's much more ingrained in the culture overall. Sure. And also like that I do this company. It's like, you know, one thing like, uh, thanks the like literally thank you to all these people who have like sent me or given me weed. Like th that's cool. <laughs> 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 like I'm so stoked. I'm wearing like this new pair of Converse that I just got. And like those? I'm, they're the new Pata low tops. Yeah, and I was, I like really wanted these. Actually, I was so thank you very much to Jason and Co over at Converse. <laughs> as always, you guys are the best. And this is like a the staple shoe of this brand as well. Yeah. So so I'm stoked always. But thank you seriously to like the vape pens to the flower to the edibles like everything that people have like wanted to like literally who just like stopped off and been like hey like we want you to have this we like your brand or we want you to have this like shout us out or something like yeah, that yeah. you know it, that's what i'm curious is is what you're doing accepted by like the core like weed crowd like the growers and the dispensaries or do they not like it I think that there's a, a very large amount of, let, let's say, like core crowd mm -hmm. who kind of it's just lost on them. Like they just don't even have an opinion. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've, I've had a lot of growers come through and predominantly I would say growers come through and they have like a they have like a blank look on their face. They definitely showed up thinking there was gonna, they were going to see something that really inspired them or something like that. Yeah. And they're like, eh, all right, cool. Like <laughs> it's just like know, over it's their totally over their heads. And not to say that that's like their fault or mine, you know, sure. it's just, I don't know. I, I guess it's just really maybe about staying in their lane. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. you know, I, I mentioned that I grow plants. I don't grow them very well, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I, maybe I'll do better at designing a t-shirt than <laughs> they will or something like that. You know, we're both good at stuff, you know, like who cares, you know? <laughs> I, I mean, I can see why like, a uh, why like the growers, cause when you really think about it, like they're, they're into like agriculture, right? Yeah. Like they're farmers, you True. know what I mean? So they're not really thinking brand, you know? I know, but I still get a little bit bummed because I'm like, I'm like, dude, like, 
this is <laughs> I'm like make like you're the champion here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think maybe they think that I'm maybe almost trying to like taking take something away from them. It's almost you know. like that age old uh, sort of tension, like at a restaurant between like front of house and back of house. Ooh, You've got this, yeah. the same like dynamic, right? Yeah. And in theater too. And in theater, yeah. Front of house, back of house. Yeah. Is this front of house? This is front of house. I think you're then. front of house. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, that was really dumb we're, of me. We're obviously. literally <laughs> sitting in the front. Of- <laughs> no, that's- uh, um, next question, please. <laughs> yeah, uh, before I go back to a couple of these, and then I, I feel really good about what we've talked about so far. I'm curious, like, are you getting hit up by, you mentioned like that, that new crowd, that like tech crowd, that like Silicon Valley world of like big money coming in. Are people reaching out to you for whatever reason, maybe investment, wanting to kind of rip what you're doing? What, what's your relationship with that side of the spectrum? Um, I would say, yeah, there's, there's been like some interest, not, not like crazy amount kind of similarly so i mm-hmm. i wasn't hitting up the gilded gold people <laughs> or the radio or the um apple store people yeah. you know again kind of like I, I think we were just sticking to our so you know proprietary vision right yeah but that that being said there's definitely some crossover i think that when it comes to the people who are involved more on the tech side I think that they're probably used to making a little bit more money. Yeah. And so I've been hit up in that regard, I guess, you know, definitely people who are like want, want to be maybe in the conversation. Should anything, should it look like we're making money or something along those lines, you know? Well, I mean, they must see the value in the brand that you're building though. Yeah. Like, I think they do. I think, I don't know. It's just a, and I don't even mean like yeah. the brand, the clothing. I mean, yeah. just like the, the brand, the thing, like the, having the like a and, name uh, out yeah. there and like, yeah, having sure. it. Yeah. I think it's just always like case by case, you know? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think it's kind of a funny thing again, uh, because it's even where I'm at now, sometimes it's difficult to put a finger on exactly what this is, yeah. you know? I yeah. mean, ultimately like we're there, you know? And it was like I said, everybody, it's a marijuana lifestyle brand. And uh, what do you what do you think? I know you said that you're a very spontaneous person, yeah. but do you have like an end game in mind, or are you kind of going day by day? I've I've had to take I've like absolutely had to make those types of exercises, you know. Um, and so, do you want me to tell you where it's going to be in five years? Is that the the deal? You don't have to. I mean, I, I mean, I'm, ultimately what I'm not going to give you like the specific milestones, but you know, one of the more obvious ones is when I started this, you know, I I looked at all the branded details being important. I looked at the marketplace, you know, the curated marketplace is being important, but what I really wanted to do was get into selling weed legally. Mm -hmm. Right. So the version 2.0, if you will, or maybe 10.0 or whatever you want to put a number on. 1.1. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, is definitely selling legal cannabis, yeah. you know, legal weed or legal marijuana or buds. Whatever your terminology <laughs> is. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's definitely like always been the biggest goal in mind yeah. was, was to get 
to that point. Now that I feel like I'm much closer than obviously I ever have been, you know, with those regards and especially with the new uh, legality in yeah. California, I can take a little bit of a step back and think like, okay, you know what? Now I know what it's going to take to, you know, become a dispensary, for example, which is like a pretty big bridge to cross. Yeah. And, but however, you know, something that's going to happen much more quickly is to actually create product lines of flour, of concentrates, of, right. you know, et cetera. Right, right, right. Um, and really what it comes down to is at this point is I've got all of my like sort of concepts and, and that kind of a thing. How can I really create it in terms of making, you know, I'm not going to like, I actually think it's going to be the most difficult thing to make is an interesting and compelling uh, array of cannabis products yeah. to attract people, you know, to buying them. You sure. Know? I've got one that I know is going to be a killer. <laughs> 100% it's going to be a killer. Coming soon. Only because I really want them for myself. Yeah. <laughs> That's always like the litmus test. The whole thing about the clothing and, and, you know, if you ever asked me like who this was for, you know, I, I, I have my sort of broad examples, sure. but really all of this stuff is things that I like and wanted to make for myself. Right. Like the, I think that's great though. You know, I, 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 I it, it keeps it personal, keeps it real, yeah, it keeps you know? Real. It keeps uh, real. Yeah. Okay. This is maybe a loaded question, yeah. but, um, what are your thoughts on the impact that cannabis has made for those that suffered from the war on drugs juxtaposed by those profiting from it yep. presently? It's interesting that it's not more obvious for people, I mm -hmm. think, you know, but it wasn't outrightly obvious to me when I started doing this, you yeah. know, uh, again, as like a, I'm like a mid, almost mid thirties, you know, white Kid, guy, kid, right. I, you know, <laughs> adult, kid. I think. Uh, <laughs> um, but I mean, at this point, um, like much of the things that are rising to the surface at this point, um, as a society, we have to, I mean, essentially, I don't know how to describe this. We have to reconcile the damage that has been done to people who've come before. Yeah. The drug war is a, I mean, essentially there's so many aspects of it that are, are so conniving, disgusting, evil from, uh, the, the, you know, the fact that they were used to subvert starting with, with Mexican people, uh, equally so opium with Asian people, mm -hmm. Um, this was just a way for, um, uh, the powers that be to subvert, uh, a certain, you know, group of people right. and manipulate them, um, from the public perception in order to keep their sort of power, if you will, yeah. you know, yeah. um, or, or, or build on their power. So it's a really, really crucial thing, especially in present times that, when I think about my responsibility as a white person in this really fucked up situation um, is to figure out every possible avenue that I can to give back 
to that, you know, to those who uh, were disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. One thing that I, I will admit that aside from doing light philanthropic type of endeavors, you know, where we give to ACLU, for example, you know, or um, the Southern Poverty Law Center, you know, both I, I consider very much worthy of, of this, you know, addressing sure. like this type of retribution, so to speak, sure. you know, I'm constantly looking for better and and more direct ways that I can bring that more into the, into the fold of this business. Yeah. yeah. One thing that I should say is right now we're representing that more than giving money because we're not making that much money. Yeah. <laughs> so the money that we are giving, unfortunately, I, I'd love to be giving, you know, if I gave 20% of my business, it wouldn't do that much, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, no, that's know. good. Um, however, I, that's great. I, I constantly want to think of bigger and better ways to, you know, continually give and and be, you know, a much more effective, you know, person in terms of creating change and giving back again, like the giving back part that that's, that's one aspect of it. The inciting change is the other. I'm, you know, I again need to think of the, how can I be the most like sort of powerful being like agent or, or agent of change? Exactly. You know, to incite this kind of, you know, like, okay, like the dialogue thing that's happened. Something that I find really actually mind blowing is, you know, with Prop 64 coming into, coming into play, there's been, uh, this really, there was a really interesting, like anti Prop 64, you know, movement yeah. amongst people who didn't want to be taxed and that mm-hmm. kind of a thing. And that all made sense to me. What, you know, it's like if you're existing in a gray market and, and able to kind of do whatever you want and, and, you know, kind of, keep this like cash business very much like, you know, like you're not, you, you don't have to pay in so much, you know, like that kind of a thing. Like, I understand why you'd be frustrated that you have to give up like a good amount of, uh, of your, of your money and, and that there's a lot more players involved and et cetera, et cetera. You know, when I looked at prop 64, the conversation that I was, you know, having with people about possibility wasn't so much about, okay, like, this is going to be bad for the industry and da, 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 da. Culturally, I was looking at the overwhelming, you know, racial implications mm-hmm. that by not passing Prop 64, there was what, what that stood for in terms of, you know, where we would maybe like where we, you know, we're obviously heading in the quote unquote, like right direction. Right. But by not passing that, that was going to slow down what I saw as being a, a very in, crucial agent of change. Right. Because ultimately, you know, these people are, people are being freed and people can't be prosecuted right. for these kind of street level crimes that have predominantly or I, I have more than predominantly, you know, affected people of color yeah. and, uh, and in, specific you know areas of los angeles and um and worldwide really yeah Yeah, i mean i think it it seems like i don't think you can never like make those amends overnight you know and it doesn't even happen in in a year and there's definitely like uh it takes a long time to undo a lot of that stuff or or not even undo necessarily but well i guess pivot you know for 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 sure and if i if we as a business or whatever 
are supposed to be like uh, one of the new indicators of, of what legal marijuana or, or or what this next generation of, of use or, or, or the relationship yeah. that the public can have to it. If we exemplify some type of, you know, public aspect of that, yeah. I want us to be known as somebody who's trying to, again, give retribution back to those who suffered underneath the drug war yeah. and, uh, and to truly create, you know, the the change that <laughs> that needs to be and that Absolutely. should have been addressed long long ago there's just so much to say about it and there's so many vile aspects of the drug war mm-hmm. that it's like fuck weed yeah you know like this is this is people this is yeah. like this is uh, there's you know what i mean this is like yeah manipulation on on in the biggest you know in highest terms and incarceration for uh for-profit prison systems and you know yeah. so many things that are i mean it's just unbelievable yeah it runs deep too yeah it runs really deep so it's, for me it, you know when i was talking to about prop 64 with people it wasn't i wasn't talking about legal weed and how great it'll be to smoke some of that or whatever (laughs) or like how well the brand's gonna do or something like that it was really about like how can we really start to undo this thing you know and you see Jeff Sessions fighting against it it's like well we all know what his record is right especially when it comes to his take on civil rights you know so it's like right there's an ulterior motive there fighting i will say that i'm not i'm still not doing enough again the the type of oh man i mean like the the amount of change or or uh in terms of what we represent i want that to be a really crucial and key part of our brand story and we're not we're not bringing that and like to the forefront enough, yeah. you know, I mean, I pretty much talk about it anytime somebody talks to me, Yeah. but you know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm trying to think of like the best and most compelling ways to, to create. You know, and I think, I mean, that. a lot of that really comes in time, you know, it's like, as it's, this stuff is happening in real time, you know, and, and, and obviously there's people, um, who have a lot of different points of view on what needs to be taking place now and immediately and the things that need to be be happening. But I think that uh, having a brand that, like you said, is a mouthpiece for like the new model of um, thinking, I guess how this industry or thinking, like, I don't even know. There's a lot to unpack. Right. But like, I do think with the right intention, like the hope would be that as your brand grows and as your business grows um, with the right intention behind it and kind of the right DNA to what you're doing, that people like Mr. Green and what you're doing can be a part of uh, pushing the right agenda and pushing the right kind of points of conversation. That above anything is my genuine hope, you know, that would indicate a level of success beyond anything I could possibly imagine. For sure. I know you're into weed. <laughs> Do you guys have any, I, I feel really good about what we talked about. I don't know if there's anything you guys have or otherwise I'd say, it might be a wrap for now. Cool. Is there anything else that you want to riff on? Or? Well, we got we got into a good uh, emotional, very prominent sub- subject for me. So I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say I exhausted myself right then, but I... Uh, no, I, w- I wanted to touch on, you know, I wanted to like, I, I think that 
the way I sort of envision this all coming together as a story mm-hmm. is like it's one part just sort of about the brand and you and stuff, but then it's yeah. also about what is what you're doing mean in the larger context of what's happening in the space and, and, and in the industry and yeah. in California. Some of the specific challenges that I always face is, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I tend to make a decent amount of shirts every season. It's just sort of like, you know, <laughs> it's just sort of the bread and butter kind of like product you know like like i mentioned you know i when i was building this thing i definitely thought okay not everybody's gonna come in and buy a bong um but and and liam maybe in your case that's different (laughs) maybe everyone is gonna come and buy a bong bong. (laughs) yeah Uh, but Maybe people are going to buy the t-shirts, you know, Right. but man, it's, it's, I would be remiss to say that designing a good weed t-shirt <laughs> is a, an easy thing to do. Cause it's kind of like not the easiest thing. Yeah. And now that I've done like three seasons of this and more or less like have my like fourth on lock. I'm super challenged, you know, like this is a hard, (laughs) like reinventing it. Yeah. You know, um, there's so many different sort of points of view you can kind of take on it or whatever. Um, I'm just worried that I'm like, that I'm not going to be able to like fill my sketchbook up with like new ideas. Yeah. Like in, let's say going closer to like season, you know, whatever, seven, eight, nine, 10, something like that, you know? Um, I'm definitely trying to think of new ways to tell a, a, an impactful story and it always becomes harder, you know? I mean, it's kind of a funny thing, but if you look at like almost anybody, you know, it's like, uh, there are a few true and genuine artists who seem to reinvent themselves while staying very true to their point of view. I don't know how even good I will be able to do that. <laughs> time only time will tell. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I, I always time look at things as, uh, <laughs> this is me being negative again, but let's just put it this way. When it comes to design, if I didn't blow it, I consider that my version of good. That's a win, right? You know, yeah. If you didn't exactly. royally fuck it up. Yeah. That's a win. <laughs> This story was brought to you by Macon. The interview was conducted by Alex Malin. Script writing and narration were done by me, Eugene Can. Photos for this story, which are visible on Macon.com, were shot by Carmen Chan. Audio and sound production was done by Elphick Wu. The rest of the team includes Nate Can, Sharice Poon, Alec Rose, Julianne Dionisio, Gordon Hoy, and Scott Masick. If you want to see and listen to more stories around creative culture, check out Macon.com or find us on your favorite podcast app.